0: Called slaying giants, and if you've ever been in a situation where you faced impossibilities, you faced a foe, whether that was some a financial thing or a, uh, a, a an emotional thing or a health-related issue or whatever it was. If you've ever faced an impossible situation, you're going to be able to relate to the stories that we're telling in this uh, in this series, because what we're doing in this series is we're looking at. Some of these Old Testament stories uh, from the time, you you know, many of you, that the Old Testament was the the period of history of of God's people that led up to um, Jesus' lifetime. So it was everything before that. And during this time, there was a lot of these moments where God would kind of come into a situation and reveal his power and reveal his strength and give victory where victory should not have taken place. And, um, and, you know, and, and as, I, as I refer to it as a story, I, I, I told this to the first service, and I think this is worth repeating. Uh, when we call these Bible stories, or when I reference this as a story, I just want to be clear. In no way do I want to suggest that I think that this is some kind of a fable that was made up to teach a lesson. In fact, I believe personally that this was an actual historical event, and I believe that it happened as the book of Judges lays it out. And so, um, and so this morning, I want to tell you uh, one of my favorite stories from the Old Testaments, the story of a man named Gideon. Now, Gideon is this amazing, amazing person uh, in the Bible. He is set up later, generations after his time on earth, he's set up as an example to the church, uh, an example of how faith in action looks. And so Gideon is this amazing example to us. And one of the things that I love so much about him is the arc of his story. If you're into films or stories uh, that are, you know, based on a character, you know that one of the great things is this, this arc of, of, of development. You know, the, the character starts out as an ordinary, common, whatever, goes through some serious, some adverse situations, and pretty soon they find this heroic thing within them, and it's this amazing time-old, you know, age-old story uh, that, that's told over and over And it's such a fascinating one. Gideon is such a great person in the Bible, in my mind, because of this fact. In Judges chapter 7, we see Gideon's story. In Judges 7, let me just set this up for you. The people of Israel had been chosen by God and called by God to come out and to be his people, his nation, and God gave them his rules, his ways, his word, all of these things. And every once in a while, as would happen uh, in in a lot of cases, uh, when God gives his people these instructions, every once in a while they kind of wander from that. Okay, And they kind of got to a point where they would think, you know what, God, we've got it. We're going to take it from here. Thanks for getting us to this point. And they would just kind of turn their backs on him, maybe reject him for a generation or two. And when this would happen, God would kind of, you know, he'd try to draw them back and say, no, stay with me. Stay with me. Listen to me. Pay attention to what I'm telling you. My way is the best way. But they would kind of wander. This was just inevitable. Every few generations, this is this cycle that repeated itself. And this was one of those generations when Gideon is alive where the people of Israel have basically said, God, we've got this. Don't worry about us. And God says, all right, I'm going to let you fend for yourselves for a while. And when you get afraid and fearful, come back and I'll be right here. And so they've been, God kind of took his hands off and said, okay, let's see what you got And the people of Israel got themselves into a situation where the people of Midian, which was a neighboring nation, had come in and defeated them in battle and made them subjects. And so the Midianites are these cruel, terrible um, masters over them. In fact, the, the author of Judges tells us that they would sometimes cut off food supplies to the people of Israel so that they would starve just for the point of showing them who's boss, you know? We 're stronger than you don 't forget it we 'll we'll turn back on your food supply as soon as you acknowledge that, but the people of Israel had had enough. they were fed up, they were sick of this, uh, and so they called out to God, they said god, we 're sorry, we turn our back on you, we're, we come deliver us, help us, and we 'll we'll listen to you again And so God sends uh, a man named Gideon. Gideon is uh, uh, this, this figure he comes we 're going to talk a little bit about how he um, comes to his position, but He becomes the general of the army of Israel, the the leader of this nation. And um, in chapter 7, as Gideon gathers his soldiers up against the Midianite soldiers, because what's happened is God has said, I'm going to give you victory. Go to war with them. I'm going to give you victory. So Gideon gathers all of his soldiers around. He looks at his army, and he counts them, and he's got 32,000 soldiers at his disposal. 32,000. Now, that sounds like a pretty formidable, you know, sort of force when you think, man, that, that's, that, that sounds like they could probably do some damage with 32,000 soldiers, trained soldiers. And then you come to find out that the Midianite army, their, their adversaries, um, are in the 135,000 soldier range. I think we've got some graphics just to kind of give you a little bit of... So there's the, the, there it is right there. So, so they are outnumbered over four to one on, this, on the field, all right, on the battlefield. They are outnumbered from the outset. And so God, seeing this situation, comes to Gideon in chapter seven and he says this He says, Gideon, you have too many soldiers. You have too many soldiers with you. Uh, and then he says, if, 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 I let you fight the Midianites, you know, the, the 32,000 against their 135. Your people will boast, the Israelites will boast to me, that they have saved themselves by their own strength. So they will say, we are mighty, we are powerful, this was about us. And God's saying, that's not what we're going for here. And so God says, I want you to release some of the ones who are afraid. So Gideon goes to his soldiers, hundred thirty, or to his uh, 32,000 soldiers, And he says, gentlemen, if any of you are afraid, if any of you are timid, if any of you have matters to attend to back home and don't want to fight, you're free to go. 22,000 of his 32,000 soldiers just pack up and leave camp. No desertion, no consequences, you're free to go. And so Gideon, as the leader of the army, his heart has got to be racing. Because when God came to him and said, you've got too few uh, you've got too many. I'm sure Gideon was thinking in his mind, God, you mixed that up, right? Like, you said too many soldiers, but we actually have too few, and now you're taking away from the few that I already have. What is going on here? And so Gideon has 10,000 soldiers, and God says to him, Gideon, and he's thinking, you know, what's, what's he going to ask of me now? He says, Gideon, you, ha- you still have too many soldiers, He's like, God, can't you do math? Are you serious? We are outnumbered 13 and a half soldiers for every one of ours. There's no way this is gonna work. And now you're telling me we have too many. He says, Gideon, just trust me, listen to me. So take them down to the water. So Gideon, you know, he takes his army down to the stream, probably, and, and, and they're, they're on the edge of the water. And God says, I want you to, to watch how they drink the water out of the stream. And so Gideon says, okay, and 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 the men who scoop water up into their hands in their hands like a cup, and then pull it up to their face, he says, "I want them in one group over there." And those who just stick their their face down in the stream and just suck the water up and lap it like a dog, I want them to go over there. And so Gideon divides the two groups. I know this is a really strange way to divide an army, right? You'd think it'd be like an audition or like, let's get the 300 strongest guys. What's your bench press? All right, you're over there. You know, you're, but, but no, it's like, do you lap like a dog or do you use a, your hands like a cup? So this is how God filters them out. So Gideon sees the two groups. One of them has 300 men. One of them has 9,700 men. And God says, send the 9,700 away. You and the 300 soldiers, that's the army that will defeat Midian. And Gideon, you know, he's got to be like, oh my goodness, are you serious? We are now outnumbered 450 to one, okay? That, that, that really helps to kind of understand what the, how insurmountable the odds were here. This is ridiculous. And so Gideon gathers his soldiers together and and, you know, his heart's got to be racing. like, God, are you, do you really know what you're doing? And God knows this. God knows that Gideon is probably struggling with some of these instructions thus far. So he says, Gideon, here's what I want you to do. To give you some peace of mind, I want you and your, your servant, a man named Pura, I want you guys to sneak down the hill. So they were camped up on a hill, and the valley below is where there were just 135,000 uh, Midianite soldiers plus some of their allies, all right, so they're all in the valley, and he says, I want you to sneak down into their camp, I want you to listen to what they're saying, and, and you will be encouraged. So Gideon goes down there, and he's, he's, he, him and his, his servant, Pura kind of sneak in, and they're on the edges of camp, in the outposts of camp, and he overhears, the first two people he comes in contact with, he overhears them talking to each other. And the first guy says, man, <clears throat> I had the strangest dream last night. And the other guy says, oh yeah, what was that all about? And the first guy says, well, so in my dream, there was this loaf of barley bread, and it came rolling down a hill, and it knocked over one of our Midianite tents and completely leveled it. And the other guy was like, oh, that could only mean one thing. That means that God has given victory to the armies of Israel over us. And Gideon hears this as he's standing there And he falls down on the ground and he worships God. And then as soon as he's done, he stands up and he returns to his camp. And he gathers his soldiers around, full of faith, full of courage. And he says, gentlemen, it's time for us to go into battle. And he splits them up into three groups of 100. And he says, you know, probably something along the lines of this. You know, I know you guys are used to going into battle with your swords and your spears and your helmets and your, your, you know, whatever. All those different things, the bow and arrow, the shields, all of it. He says, we're not going to need any of that. Here's what you're going to go into battle with. Now keep in mind, they're already outnumbered 450 to 1. And, God sa- and, and Gideon says to them, here are your weapons. You're going to take with you a trumpet, a glass jar or clay jar, and a torch. Okay? Those are your weapons. And you wait for my signal. So they go down and they surround the camp as best as they can. And Gideon waits for the right moment and he, sh- and he blows on his horn as loud as he can. Then all of a sudden, all of his army starts blowing on their horns, and, they- and all in unison, they slam their clay jars down on the ground, crash, 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 and they shout, they, they raise the torch in the air, and they say, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Shouted it at the top of their lungs. And then you want to know what happens? Something amazing happens. This is crazy. Gideon's soldiers never even swing a sword. They never engage in any kind of battle in these next few moments. What happens is, There is such chaos and pandemonium and panic that settles on the camp of Midian that all of these men, these 135,000 men start fighting each other and they are swinging their swords and they're just panicking and they're freaking out and they start, you know, cutting each other and killing each other. And by the end of it, 120,000 of the enemy soldiers have been executed by their own hands. There are only 15,000 soldiers who remain, and those 15,000 soldiers are afraid. They are terrified, and they flee to the hills. So God gives victory in a way that should have never been able to happen. It should have never worked out that way, but God said, I've given you the victory. I wanna show you that I am with you, that this isn't by your own might. This isn't by your own strength or your own power. This is by my hand that you're gonna see this victory. So, Gideon and the army of Israel, they gain control, they defeat their enemies, they get their freedom back, and God uses him in such a dramatic way that the people of Israel say, hey, we see how God works through you, we see how you hear from God, would you be our ruler, okay? And so Gideon is used in this miraculous way in this battle, and he's set up to be the next leader of Israel. This was a time before kings. If they, if they had had kings in Israel at this point, they probably would have made him their king. But this was a time of judges where men would sit and discern God's will on different matters. It was a time between Moses and King David, you know, kind of that era of, of judges. <clears throat> and so he's set up to be the next judge of Israel. So This is where the story of Gideon goes. It's kind of like I've unveiled to you the end of the movie before you see how he got there. Let's look at the origin story now, okay? Let's try to figure out how he becomes this mighty hero who enters into battle like this. So we're going to rewind one chapter. We've been in Judges 7. We're going to go back to Judges 6, and we're going to look at the first time Gideon is mentioned in the Bible. In chapter 6... Verse 11, we read this. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abiezar. Gideon, the son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of the winepress to hide grain from the Midianites. So let me set this up for you. Gideon is a farmer. He's a farmer. And in verse 12, the angel of the Lord appears to this farmer and calls him something else. He says, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Now, it's worth noting to this point, Gideon has never done anything heroic. (laughs) Maybe he saved a kid drowning in a pool one time. I don't know. I I shouldn't make that blanket statement. But he's never been in battle, he's never been a warrior. He's been under the rule of these horrible, horrible Midianites that have um, imposed their power on them. And Gideon is just a farmer. But here the angel of the Lord calls him, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Now, we know where the story goes. And so sometimes it's easy knowing how the story ends to assume that Gideon was full of faith and belief. And he said, yeah, what do you got for me? I am a mighty hero. (laughs) Tell me what you've got. Tell me what I can do. Um, I'm ready to go. But that's not usually the way these stories begin, is it? And it wasn't the case for Gideon either. In chapter uh, 6, continuing on in verse 13, Gideon, his response is not one of faith, but actually of doubt. He says, sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened to us? Translation, if God is really with us, why have we experienced all of this bad stuff? Why has, you know, remember, they've been overthrown by these terrible leaders, and their cities are in ruin, ruin and they're not able to govern themselves, and they're not free. And, and Gideon, Gideon is saying, you know, if God is really with us, then why are we in this situation that we're in? And he goes on, and he says, and not only that, but where are these miracles that our ancestors told us about? This was a generation where God did no miracles leading up to Gideon's life. He had never seen God do something dramatic. It, 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 was, it was unheard of. It was something that our grandparents told us about from their grandparents. It was so far removed. When, when, when generations before this, the people of Israel had been in a similar situation where they were enslaved in Egypt and they cried out for a deliverer and God sent them deliverance in a very very unbelievable, very uh, you know, amazing way. He, you know, he parted the Red Sea so they could get out and, and he led them through just miraculous, the 10 plagues, miracles, right? And, and he gave them water from a rock when they were thirsty in the desert and food from heaven, bread from heaven when they were starving in the desert. Over and over and over, it, it, during those generations, God provided miracle after miracle after miracle and Gideon has never seen any of that. He's just heard the stories and all he can think is, seriously, you wanna tell me God is with me? I don't see ev- any evidence of that. Look at our situation. Not only that, but our grandparents tell, about these, tell us about these amazing things that he's, he did for, the, for their grandparents. I, I don't, I'm not sure I believe it. And then he ends it by saying this. But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. So what is Gideon's response? His initial response when the angel of the Lord speaks to him is not one of faith, but one of doubt. He totally doubts that any of this is real. He totally doubts that this is real. In fact, when he, when he doubts him, uh, he, he does what a lot of us do. When we doubt God, we usually doubt him in one of two ways. We, we doubt him as far as his goodness or we doubt him as far as his ability. When, when we doubt his goodness, what we're saying is, does God really see me? Does he really care? Do I matter to him? Are my problems worth anything to him? And so you're questioning his goodness, the way he relates to you directly. Then if if you go on and you question, uh, which is what Gideon also does, when we question his ability, we're saying, you know what? Even if God is willing to help me, I don't think he can do it. I'm. I'm not so sure he's powerful enough to overcome this army. I'm not so sure he's powerful enough to to help me with my debt. I'm. You know the sickness that's before me. I don't know how he can do it. I doubt his ability. So when I doubt God, when you doubt God, which I've done and you've done, we tend to do it in one of those two ways. And so the angel of the Lord. It's almost like he's not really even. Acknowledging that in a way, because all he's getting back is pushback, 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 and he sticks with the message. He says in verse 14, he says, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. And Gideon turns his doubt in another direction now. To this point, he's been exclusively doubting God, and here he turns his doubt on himself. He says, But Lord, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. So here, Gideon doubts himself. What he's saying here is, listen, I don't know why anyone would follow me. I'm a nobody. I don't have a platform. I don't have a name. Nobody knows who I am. Essentially, what he's saying is, I'm the youngest brother from the smallest, from an insignificant family in one of the smallest clans in one of the smallest tribes of Israel. I am not important by their standards. Nobody's going to care what I have to say. And so Gideon doubts God. He doubts himself. I guess you could just say, this is not turning out to be a very good interaction, right? This is not maybe the way the angel of the Lord saw it going. I don't know. But he's just not playing along. So Gideon doubts God. God, he doubts himself. I want to take a quick sidebar, and I want to talk just for a quick moment about who the angel of the Lord, who I believe this is. Here, some of you may or or, uh, may already be ahead of me on this, but. The angel of the Lord, throughout the Old Testament, there would be times and incidents where, where an angel would appear to somebody and give them a message, deliver a message. Okay? It happened throughout the Old Testament, even at the beginning of the New Testament, with, and then in, uh, up to the resurrection of Jesus, there were angels that would appear. And whenever somebody would see this angel and think, oh man, I need to worship this angel, right? The angel would say, no, 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 I'm just a messenger. Here later on in the chapter, we're not gonna go into this right now, you can read this later in the week in your, in your Bible study time or whatever, when the angel of the Lord is, is uh, offered worship from Gideon, which is what happens, he offers him a sacrifice and builds him an altar, the angel of the Lord accepts it. Not only that, but there's another place where you know, he says to him a couple of times, I am sending you, I am sending you, not God is sending you or the Lord is sending you. So what am I saying here? I actually believe that this is God himself. This is probably a manifestation of Jesus long before he was conceived of a virgin, born to you know, Mary in, in a manger in Bethlehem. This is Jesus on earth generations before Jesus was born. You know, you know what I'm saying? This is the son of God speaking directly to him and giving him this word. Now, why is that significant? Why do I take time to, to explain that? Because I think it, it, it's so different... When, when it's like God directly telling me, listen, I am sending you. I have empowered you for this. I will fight the Midianites on your behalf. And here he is struggling with this. And he goes on in verse 16 to put a pin in it. And he says, I will be with you. And you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. So you've got this Sort of this gap between what one person is saying and what the other person is saying. God says, You're a mighty hero. God says, I, God, will be with you. And Gideon says, I can't do this. I don't matter. I'm not important. And then you've got this other contradiction between the two people, you've got, or between uh, the, the timeline. So we talked about how the story ends. He's this mighty hero who has been used mightily by God, and the people of Israel demand that he steps into the role of leadership, lead us. And then at the beginning of the story here, you've got him being an insignificant, insecure, um, con- unconfident farmer who has no platform, no right to step into a role like this. So how does an insignificant, insecure farmer become the mightiest hero of that generation, the the most powerful person of that generation? How does one, this is all within a few days that this transition takes place. So how does this happen? In in, uh, the New Testament, in Hebrews chapter 11, I kind of alluded to this earlier, the, um, the writer of the book of Hebrews looks at Gideon as an example of faith. So generations later, he is an example to the church of being a person who has acted and been a, a model of faith. So how does he transition? How does he become that person All a- after just a few days? So God is saying one thing. Gideon is saying another So when Gideon is doubting God, I see throughout his story that he really wants to believe. He really wants to believe. God is saying, uh, you're going to fight this, this, and and Gideon continues to ask throughout their conversations, some of the conversations we haven't even looked at because it's later on in the chapter. He says, confirm this to me. Confirm this to me. I need to know. If this is really you telling me this, confirm it to me. I want to believe but I need confirmation for this. There's another place where where uh, he says, <laughs> you know, this is kind of toward the beginning. Gideon actually says, "Listen, I, I, I want to believe, but here, here's what we're going to do. If you're if you're really going to help me, I'm going to put this wool fleece out in, in um uh this place, and I want the ground around it tomorrow morning to be completely wet, and the fleece itself to be dry. That will be a sign that you are actually going to do this." God does exactly that. He wakes up the next morning. It's exactly how he said. And then he's like, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> Let's try this again. Maybe, maybe that was just a coincidence. Let's flip it around. Now I want the, the, the fleece to be completely saturated with dew, but the ground around it to be completely dry. And, and he asks for this sign, and God does exactly that, the complete opposite of what he did the day before. So God has confirmed it not once, not twice, but then again later when Gideon goes down into the enemy army and he hears uh, in their camp, he hears this confirming word about this dream. So God confirms his word over and over and over and over again with Gideon. Three times God confirms, and he's so patient with him. He's so patient with Gideon. He's not disappointed in him. He's not frustrated with him. He understands that for Gideon, doubt is a part of the process. So what can we learn from Gideon? That, that, that's exactly what I just said there. This is what we need to understand about, uh, about this journey to great faith. If you want to be a giant slayer, Doubt is often, I shouldn't have even put the word often up there. It is always, it is always a part of the process. Doubt, every one of us deals with doubt. When God says one thing, it's normal for us to have doubts. It's normal for us when we've got to put ourselves out there to have some fears, to have some anxiousness, to have some doubt. It is totally normal. And you are not letting God down if you are honest about that doubt when you bring it to him. And then secondly... When we acknowledge our doubt and bring it to him, God can take that and turn it around into something really, really special. God can take your doubt and turn it into great faith. And that's what he's done over and over. He did it with Gideon. He did it with many, many, many people in the Bible who struggled with doubt. Abraham, another example. God said some amazing things centuries later in hebrews chapter 11 it goes on and on and on and on and on talks about his faith if any of you know the story of abraham you know that guy had doubts he he doubted and he messed up over and over but for some reason god was patient with him god worked with him and god used him and his doubt to become a part of his story leading to great faith here's what i know about everyone in this room you're going to face impossible giants. You're going to face impossible situations, and God wants to use you to overcome those, but you will not be able to overcome them or even step into the battlefield until you've overcome the, the issue of doubt. If you're doubting God, that's normal. That is totally normal, but what do you do? Like Gideon, God, I need you to you're saying these things, I just need you to confirm it. I want to believe, I, I really want to believe, but I need confirmation. I believe God will begin to confirm things in your life. And, and when you step into those battlefields and when you are facing that adversity, at, at some point as you step into it, God will convert that doubt into faith and you'll see some remarkable things happen. Let me pray for you this morning as we close. Father, thank you so much that you are a loving, patient God. Lord, when we bring to you, when we are honest with you and we say, Lord, I'm struggling with doubt, maybe I'm doubting God, maybe I'm doubting myself, whatever the doubt is, Lord, when I confess that to you, is that is not a disappointment to you. You're patient with me and you understand that my doubts are part of the process. So Father, I ask that today, everyone here, because there are people in this room who are dealing with impossible situations and they doubt you right now. And I pray, God, that you will give them the ability to be honest and bring their doubt to you and watch you take that and convert it to great faith. In Jesus' name, amen.